You're listening to the future of automotive. In this podcast series, I have embarked on a journey through the automotive landscape. And in this fifth episode, we'll talk about the number one source of frustration amongst car drivers, traffic jams. One of my questions is, how can smart mobility help reduce traffic congestion? My name is Maria Punch, and joining me are Jeanette van Aren, manager of smart mobility at the province Noord-Holland, and Kees de Wijs, CEO of Dinik, a company specialized in smart mobility solutions. Welcome, Jeanette and Kees. Good morning. Thank you. Hi. First of all, I'm curious to know, uh, did you manage to get here this morning without getting uh, stuck in traffic, Jeanette? Well, no. Uh, actually, I got here just in time. I had a traffic jam at the A9, and it was caused by a rear-end collision of about six cars. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah, maybe with a smart solution that could have been prevented. I think we'll talk a bit about that Absolutely. in this, uh, in this yeah. podcast. What about you, Case? Can you outsmart the uh, the congestion? Well, my philosophy is uh, being on time means leaving on time. So uh, I left on time using uh, modern technology and using information available. You come a long way. Yeah. Uh, I had no problems this morning. What about a regular day? A, re- a regular day for me means um, planning. So uh, I plan uh, typically my days uh, with my assistant over at home or with my assistant uh, in the uh, in the office. And that means uh, thinking about where to park, where to go, uh, the transportation mode. So not necessarily doing everything by car, although I have to admit I do a lot by car. But there are uh, routes where I uh, deliberately uh, switch from, from car to uh, public transport simply to make sure that I'm punctual. So clever planning. Uh, that's, I think, one of the, the key things. Before we move on, I would like to pay attention to our sponsor, Leaseplan. With over 50 years of experience, Leaseplan's mission is to provide what is next in mobility via any car, anytime, anywhere service, so their customers can focus on what is next for them. Now, Jeanette, in the province of Noord-Holland, this is for listeners outside the Netherlands, this is in the northwestern part of the Netherlands, Um, you've introduced different smart mobility solutions. For example, experimenting with talking traffic, so to speak, on the N205. Could you tell us a bit about that uh, project? Yes, I could. Um, In 2013, we started collaborating with uh, Nissan, uh, Nissan Research uh, Development Center in uh, Silicon Valley, because at that time we had put traffic management uh, in place in uh, the province. And I was very interested in what's needed to be able to communicate between uh, a traffic light and a car. So we started this collaboration. And soon they said, we really want to do pilots in real-life traffic. So I said, well, you're welcome to come uh, do the pilots in our uh, province. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have the N205 and 207, and they're provincial roads with lots of traffic, lots of traffic lights near the Amsterdam airport. So that's how this So a very important spot. Yes, yes. uh, There's a lot of traffic uh, going on over there. We've got a lot of intersection and also a lot of different um, modes of transport. Bikes, buses, cars, trucks, everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that wasn't like an ideal testing ground, so to speak? It was an ideal testing ground. And what's uh, really unique about it is that it's in real-life traffic. So we started promoting this place. And uh, for the last few years, we have done tests with uh, Daimler-Benz, the future came to us to uh, to show its level three automated bus uh, on our bus rapid transit route and last year one and a half year ago we installed the first uh, in 
intelligent road from the Netherlands. Together with Swarco, we were able to get the traffic lights uh, talking to uh, cars or mobile phones or apps. And I was really proud to, to be able to do that. Yeah. What does talking actually mean? What sort of communication is going on between those traffic lights and, and the participants in traffic, the roads? What we uh, what we do is we send out messages between uh, the traffic lights and uh, the cars um, about the whereabouts, where the car is, uh, what's its speed, uh, where does it want to go to, uh, but also from the side of the traffic lights, we can give information on the status of the traffic lights. And we can also get more green for some prioritized users of the road. What we really like to do there is uh, enhance traffic management, traffic flow, but also I think it would benefit traffic safety enormously as well. Mm. What are the results so far? Can you share something about that? Well, what we did is uh, that we showed that we were able to do uh, the communication. Um, it works. It works. That's one thing, yeah. That's mm-hmm. one thing. And so we can really prioritize now. We can think about who are we going to prioritize at certain intersections. Uh, we also were able to have a pilot last year on CACC, it's Cooperative Adaptive Cruise Control. What we did there was that we uh, were able to have seven cars communicate with each other. So if the first car stops, then the other six cars are going to stop at the same time. Mm-hmm. When the first car is going to pull up, the other six are going to pull up exactly at the same time. So if we would have that in place, I would have been here in time because the rear-end <laughs> collision uh, of the cars uh, I had earlier this morning would not have happened. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you sort of step into a project like that? Do you have a target? Do you have a goal? Or isn't that is that not even possible when you're testing? Well, I have an overall target to have better traffic flow, better traffic uh, safety, especially traffic safety. But I think also that we can reduce uh, air pollution by using smart solutions, by using smart ITS solutions. Because if a truck doesn't need to stop at an intersection, it will uh, use less fuel. If we are able to warn people that there's someone driving through red, uh, mm-hmm. the other cars can anticipate uh, on that. So I think for a long term, we can really enhance traffic safety and traffic flow and, uh, and air quality. Yeah. So quite a lot of experience in testing. Does the infrastructure need a lot of adjustments to implement this kind of technology? Well, what you see is that it's quite new for us. So what we do is we start small, step by step, and we find out all kind of things uh, along the road. I think that uh, Case also noted we encountered uh, things. It's a national program we are doing right now with all the traffic lights getting more intelligent. And we encounter things like cybersecurity. Uh, how do right. we cope with that? Uh, we're encountering things like uh, privacy. Uh, but also the end-to-end solution. If you get a message to traffic lights and to a traffic control center, and it has to make different steps, and you have to get all those steps straight, but you also have to get the latency in time. Because if you get a warning that one minute ago, maybe there was someone who was driving through red, it's too late. You have to have it spot on time. What about consumers? Do you get feedback from consumers or do people maybe even don't know that they're involved in an experiment with... People don't know it. Ah. Not yet. Not yet. No, because what I was telling about the cybersecurity and privacy issues, uh, we really have to figure out a lot more before Mm -hmm. we can really go uh, live. And what we also need 
the car manufacturers. Yeah. I re- would really, really like to have them more uh, cooperating as well because I think that right now we are talking to apps and to drivers. Yeah. But I think I I don't want to, to talk to uh, drivers because I want them to look around and have their eyes on the traffic. Mm-hmm. What I really want is to to talk to the cars. Right. It's better that, that the consumer doesn't know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, so your company, Dinik, participated in a traffic flow project in the north of Finland. Uh, why on earth did you go there? What what was interesting there? Can you tell us a bit about that project? Yeah, um, the reason why we do that is Dinik uh, focuses on adaptive traffic management, smart mobility solutions across Europe. So we are mainly focused on scalable international and interoperable solutions. And we were heavily interested in Finland since there we could test vehicle-to-vehicle, vehicle-to-infrastructure, technology and communication under severe conditions. Right. Uh, Typically, camera detection detectors operate under certain uh, temperatures, under certain heavy snow conditions, slightly different from a, a regular day in Paris or Lissabon. Right. So we, we wanted to get, uh, together with automotive, really grip on, okay, under these conditions, d- does all the functionality still work uh, as we expect? So that what we did there is we tested uh, self-driving cars that uh, should communicate with the infrastructure that should be able also to get notified about objects uh, on the road ahead, on emergency vehicles coming ahead down the road and see if then the autonomous driving cars would still behave reliably. Right. Was this a public road or a secluded area? No, a public, it is a public uh, stretch, a highway, uh, where also other companies do do tests. We collaborated there, of course, not, not on our own, but with automotive and with uh, research institutes uh, from Norway and, uh, and Finland. Yeah. What was the major takeaway from that project? What we were happy with is that the, the technology works, that it also works on the severe conditions, but of course that uh, there you need to take into account that certain camera detection systems need to be looked at uh, very carefully. Uh, that was not a surprise because we, we don't do these tests only in, in, in uh, Scandinavia. We also have these European projects where we participate, where there are test sites in the Netherlands, in the UK, in, in France. Uh, so we are basically pretty happy with the outcomes in Scandinavia. We combine them with the results that we already found uh, in other places in Europe. And we are very confident that we are basically ready mm-hmm. for large-scale deployment, uh, where we also encourage those government bodies uh, right now heavily to, to do that together with industry. Yeah. Are they receptive to that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of momentum. It's actually a fascinating world in which we live in uh, these days, where you see that a lot of these concepts about how vehicle-to-vehicle, vehicle-to-infrastructure uh, services could, could work, that were identified 10, 15 years ago, conceptually, now with available technology, with uh, 5G communication coming up, really come to life. And it's, of course, now a matter of finding the right public-private collaboration models, the right business models under which we also make these services largely available. Coming back to your point about a consumer, um, what we found very interesting is that, uh, of course, we are looking at, at governments, we are looking at city councils and how we help with smart mobility to drive down congestion to mm-hmm. improve air quality. But as a spin-off, we developed uh, some uh, apps for disabled and elderly people 
to help them uh, walking across a crosswalk ah. in, in a more secure way. And we got a lot of uh, positive uh, momentum and attention from basically global media because that touches the human aspect of it. Right. Uh, because it's not just about technology. I think it's all about acceptance in our anxiety. And we we were we were very surprised to see that helping elderly people, and we all will become old mm-hmm. one day, that, that technology helps also there. Yeah, so that it would mean practically that they get more time to yeah. walk over a crossing? Correct. Yeah, yeah correct. So, And it's just a matter of um, once getting the app on your phone, then you don't have to touch it because the, 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 the intersection will identify you automatically as long as your phone is on and it will start to calculate if it is possible to give you a little bit more time, more time. To, to do your walk over uh, safely. Right. Uh, so we've talked a bit about like safety, how how the environment can win uh, by this technology. You've mentioned flow, uh, Jeanette. But case if we if we bring it back to congestion, if you think how smart mobility could help reduce congestion, is it a matter of seconds, minutes? Will we ultimately be able to prevent people getting stuck? Uh- <laughs> yeah. Well. It's a one million, one billion uh, question. Right. Uh, our philosophy is we see in smart mobility a spectrum of solutions from car-to-car, car-to-vehicle services that will help to make the roads more safe, to, uh, that will help to make air traffic flows more sustainable, yeah. but uh, also will help to use existing infrastructure in a better way, optimize the available capacity. And there will always be times where there are bottlenecks eh, because during rush hours it will be very hard to avoid congestion completely. Mm -hmm. But we are not that nervous about it since uh, we, looking at the technology developments, we believe in a future where in the end self-driving cars or semi-self-driving cars will be zero emission where technology in the car will be at that level that you can use your time even in a traffic jam, yeah. in a productive way. Yeah, so and we'll get a the, whole new sense yeah. and feeling about being in a traffic jam yeah. because you'll be answering emails or... Th- that That is the future that, that we are envisaging that will not come overnight, but I think my children, children <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, will, will certainly live in a world like that. Yeah. Now, you operate internationally. Are there certain countries that are front runners that are ahead of the game? Uh, certainly. We are particularly a, a European player. We are heavily working uh, in the Netherlands because we, we, we still see the Netherlands as a, in, in a leading position, but also Sweden. So we see a lot of collaboration between the Netherlands and Sweden in industry, but also in, in governmental bodies. And when we look globally, uh, we learn a lot, I think, from what is happening in, uh, in Japan. Japan is certainly a, a leading country and look uh, closely at Chinese players are doing and South Korean players are doing. Yeah, and that's because they have the data, the money. Yeah, and I think the determination and perhaps also the urgency mm-hmm. to really do something. And and uh, yeah, the diversity, I think that is still very valuable that we have in, in Europe. But the political landscape in Europe is different compared to, for instance, a more centralized economy in uh, as, as Japan or as China, where, where simply there is more stronger momentum to really make certain plans happening. Mm. Jeanette, what is your experience? Because you mentioned you worked with Nissan, Mercedes-Benz. Silicon Valley comes to Nord-Holland for coffee. How does that uh, that work? How does that work? Is that an interesting partnership? Yes, 
It definitely is because working together with uh, with the OEMs um, gives you insight into what the uh, car is able to do and uh, what it's not able to do. So sometimes people say, "Well, in a few years' time, we have autonomous cars," and say, "Yeah, sure. Well, we'll we'll see about that." And I think that as a government, and I believe that in in the Netherlands we are really quite unique in it. And I would like to have other governments uh, think about it as well. I'm convinced that we need to understand what the technology can bring us and how it can help us. And therefore, we, we really have to work together with OEMs. We have to go to uh, Japan, Singapore, just to be able to understand what can we do and how can we get this uh, our goals easier by using the technology. And what I think is very strange, I'm, I'm giving presentations at a lot of congresses uh, for the last few years, yeah. and I always get this question, why don't you leave it to the market parties? Just leave the car manufacturers and you will see what you get. And then I say, well, um, I, I think that would be a missed opportunity yeah. because I really want to understand how I can... Uh, enhance it and how I can use it as soon as possible. Yeah. Because right now, the OEMs are working on communication and they're just waiting for some country where they can really communicate with the infrastructure. Right. And right now we are in the Netherlands, we are trying to, to get the communication into the infrastructure. And what, I, what I also think is very interesting because uh, Case was mentioning Japan. What you see in Japan is they have the urgency because the society is getting older and older. Mm -hmm. So they really have a problem with elderly people. Yeah. And that's why they have a push forward for automated cars. And I think that's that's amazing. So elderly people will be able to yes. uh, drive with them. Yes, so you will, you will have the issue of social social inclusion that's uh, getting very, uh, that's very seriously taken in, uh, in Japan. And that's why they're pushing forward to get automated shuttles uh, early on the road. Yeah, so we should keep our eyes on uh, Japan. Yeah. Um, I'd also like to talk a bit about planning, because if you think, you know, from your perspective, you would be building a new suburb. There are all sorts of infrastructural challenges. Uh, is there the risk of being far behind once you have the technology developing so quickly and the architects, the engineers are working on a new suburb? Um, how do you stay on track? It's very difficult. Because uh, all the planning has been done for uh, well for the next 10, 15 years, and we really don't know how the future is going to look like. So what we are trying to do is make guidelines for planning uh, and taking into account what do we know about how the future is going to look like, and then maybe we can give some choices to the one who are going to plan. But it's it's very difficult. It really is. Yeah, I can imagine. So we're talking about smart mobility solutions uh, in infrastructure, in reducing traffic jams. Are we focusing too much on smart mobility? Should we keep our eye on other solutions, do you think? Yeah, Please. it depends on how you define smart mobility. For, for us, as I said, it's a whole spectrum of car-to-car, car-to-infrastructure services, software solutions that help to improve planning, also help to improve charging of the use of infrastructure. So it depends a bit on what you see as smart mobility and what not. I, I think the essence is that we recognize that uh, uh, given limitations in space, uh, that we cannot just simply build out traditional concrete infrastructure and that we have to focus on technology that helps to optimize the utilization of infrastructure. Right. 
Uh, and if that is the, the definition of smart mobility, then uh, I think we should uh, even focus more on smart mobility since I think in countries like the Netherlands that is that are so heavily dense, where there's such a crowd of people that starts to concentrate more and more in metropolitan areas, you need to be smart on using technology in terms of planning, transportation, multimodal, yeah, so combining traffic with public transport, with with availability of bikes or yeah. electric steps or whatever, and use that technology, but also transform it into services that people uh, love, that people like, and that people in the end embrace. What sort of services are you thinking of? I'm thinking about services where you can simply share cars. It's coming up, but it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not there. So, for instance, a new apartment block would have integrated uh, several cars for the inhabitants. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I, I think the whole concept of the, the sharing economy should should be transplanted um, more more heavily into into the mobility world, and then uh, car sharing, bike sharing. Uh, whatever sharing should fit into that. Uh, I think another think where we where we are getting better is uh, there's still a lot of cruising in a city uh, of people looking for for parking spaces so parking guidance yeah it really needs to get to a level where we optimize available technology and, uh, and share data in order to make sure that people simply uh, stop doing that yeah. because they don't need to anymore Jeanette, yeah. I, I would imagine that a city requires totally different solutions than a more rural area Do you have any experience in that? Oh, well, what you see is that in a city, uh, we really have the problem of the air pollution. Uh, right now in Amsterdam, they're thinking about banning the car from the center. I think they should have done that a long time ago already. Yeah. But it's always the, the struggle between the, the parking car owners and uh, how do you get money from it and uh, the livability of a city. So I can imagine that using technology like, for example, geofencing or something, you can do something with the data and you can prevent uh, cars from coming in. But also as government and as a, as a municipality and a province, we really need to put uh, rules in, into place. This is not allowed. Uh, you're allowed to go there. Mm-hmm. We also have to talk with uh, well the, the map providers of the world so we can tell which roads we want cars to take and uh, which roads we do not want to have any cars. And if you get, come into the more the, the rural areas, I think we have to look at Japan. We really have to see how can we get public transport to uh, a level in which it really is going to work for everyone and also where it's still affordable. Because right now we put a lot of money into public transport and perhaps with using well more smart mobility or shuttles uh, last mile solutions in combination with uh, public transport maybe we can also lower the price and get mm-hmm. give more access to uh, more people yeah could you imagine a scenario in which people would have to pay for instance for using a certain route in the rush hour Yes, I definitely could. What I think is that in in a few years' time, everyone isn't. We, you don't own a car anymore, but I think you have a service, uh, and sometimes you're going to need a car, and sometimes you're going to need uh, a train or a bike, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that would be uh, very nice if we could have that. 
And uh, pay for it. And pay for it, of course. But uh, a student, uh, maybe he only she or he only wants to have uh, a train, a bus, and uh, a bike, and maybe r- drive along with someone. Mm-hmm. As a businessman, uh, maybe he wants to uh, travel by plane. So it, it will yeah. be mobility services you you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. And you'll know exactly what you're paying. I mean, uh, case you're a businessman, would you be prepared to pay for uh, driving to Amsterdam in rush hour to be here at uh, 9.30? <laughs> yeah, although uh, I don't know uh, whether I would prefer to drive through Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> But the principle I got, and yeah. I, I think uh, if the service has a certain quality and uh, that that you are expecting and uh, or where the service is even over performing I would be willing to pay for that and I think uh, that um, does not only count for um, for individuals uh, in, in in their commute or in their business traveling it also uh, needs to be integrated in uh, in I think our future business models where it comes to e-commerce companies that uh, allow their consumers to uh, to order stuff and then to send it back for whatever simple reason yeah. that is causing and generating so much yeah. uh, traffic in and out neighborhoods uh, that uh, I think, I believe in a service also there that if somebody sends back his stuff that he also partially pays for the for the related mobility and transportation aspects uh, yeah. of that. We have a word for that now in the Netherlands uh, which is bezorgschaamte which would be translated as a shame of delivery and sending back or something something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 So I, I think uh, we talked a lot about uh, commute, but I think in terms of the, the e-commerce, home delivery, last mile aspects, and Jeanette was uh, j- just referring to that, there's also still a lot to be done in terms of offering the right services and get the right underlying pricing for it. And making people feel responsible. Absolutely. Yeah, because we, uh, I think it's in the end, uh, it's not just technology, it's also behavior. Yeah. Of all of us. And uh, it's time that we start to change our behavior. Which is hard, because we are not uh, used to that. Yeah. Concluding, Jeanette, uh, you work for uh, for the government. Do you think that the government should lead by example, for instance, promoting an electric car amongst the employees? Yes, I think I definitely think we should do that. And also because we were just talking about consumers, but I also think that we really have to keep in mind that it's not only about technology, it's also about the people who are using it. Right now, we already have a lot of cars with lots of technology in it and no one knows what to do with it. So we also are part of the ADIS community within the Netherlands in which we want to promote to uh, well to everyone in the Netherlands how to use the systems they already have on board and we think that by doing that we already and gain a lot on traffic safety and and traffic flow but i do think that governments need to stand up and uh, think about how they can ensure uh, that this technology will really work for us Thank you. Many thanks for sharing your expertise, Jeanette van Arem and Kees de Wijs. Thank you for listening to The Future of Automotive. You'll find our other episodes in the BNR app or just use your favorite podcast player. Till next time.